So I think it's here to stay. It also allows you more freedom, more control of your own time, who you want to work with, where you want to work, and how you want to work. This is Eric Sim, author of the bestseller book, Small Actions, and he's the founder of the Institute of Life. In this episode, I talked to Eric about his career journey and how he started his portfolio career. He also shared some useful advice on how people can build their skills and network to be part of the creator's economy. Hello and welcome to the Human Works Podcast. And this is your host, Anish Lalchanani. The future of work is uniquely human. On this show, I take you on a journey to explore different perspectives to learn, grow, and thrive. I'm delighted to welcome Eric Sim to the Human Works Podcast. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you, Anish. Thanks for having me. Please, can you share with our listeners what do you do? I'm really curious to understand because I know you wear multiple hats and I'm curious to know more about you. Yeah, I have a mission is to help professionals around the world to achieve success at work and in life. Through social media, I write on LinkedIn about career and life skills. Through my book, Small Action, that is also putting out my advice, my experience in a more structured manner, more organized, through also my lectures at universities, various universities around the world, speeches at conferences, and also trainings through large financial institutions. So all of my activities has got an underlying mission, is to help professionals. Yeah. Great to hear that. And I kind of heard a number of different hats, as I said, you wear. Yeah? So I think it's interesting to see how you can do so many things. And I think in many ways, I envy you know, your, your career you have, I would say. But I would really like to know what has been your career journey. We spoke earlier, you were a banker. Yeah? Yes. I used to work in possibly the same bank. So I want to know a bit more about your career journey in terms of different experiences, different gigs, what you did. Yeah, I like to go back, you know, to, to my childhood so you understand what, what, what I do. I have got a very serious inferiority complex since young because I was physically weak. I, I was academically not great. You know, I failed several subjects in school, lack social skills, no network. So in schools, you have probably four groups of students. One is the popular students, liked by everyone. Then one are the interesting students, you know, they have interests or they, they stand out in one way or another. Then you got students who are good in their study. And the fourth group, maybe a few are the invisible students that <laughs> you don't see them, right? If they are missing in class, you probably won't notice. So I belong to the fourth group, quiet, in class. In fact, my teacher asked me to mix around more, more freely. Not because I, I didn't want to talk to people. I, I just didn't know how to do it. And I couldn't join activities. I couldn't play sports because I have childhood asthma. My, pet, my mother refused to, to let me join any competitive sports. 
So after developing this inferiority complex, I thought, how can I overcome it? I think the, the, the way to overcome it is to increase my knowledge, know more things, and try to be a better Eric Sin compared to the year before. So over the years, that's, that's, that's what I do. And I would jump at uh, opportunity to, to learn. So while I was in, in school, I, I went during holiday, I, I went to take up a job as a bartender to learn how to make drinks, you know, what is the uh, entertainment industry like? What is uh, the nightlife of people? Yeah. So that's, that's what I did. And when I had a chance to go to Hong Kong, I was based in, you know, I was studying in Singapore. When I had a chance to go to Hong Kong to do my internship, I put, on my, I put my hand up to, to experience a different culture. So every opportunity I have, I, I try to do that. And when I didn't do well after my first job, my first job was at DBS Bank. I was the only engineer that they hired. In the 1990s, mid-1990s, the engineer, hiring engineer was not so common yet. My boss took a chance on me and I think I disappointed her. My lack of social skills and understanding of the financial market made, made me a poor performer. So I thought I start from scratch. I went to the UK for my master's in finance, hoping to improve my communication skill. I improved a little bit, but you know, all these skills take, it will take time. Yeah. So after failures, bumps I keep improving myself not necessarily acquiring skills that are related to to my job I would learn interior design you know nothing to do with banking I would learn graphic design and all this start coming into play because now that I write on LinkedIn I need to do a poster I need to take better pictures on social media. So those photography calls that I took, portrait classes that I took, start benefiting me and I, I have a better sense of design and art and beauty compared to the average person out there. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to hear your career story, I would say, because bartending, being an engineer in a bank, and now what you're doing, it's amazing. Yeah. But one thing I really appreciate and I want to acknowledge means your hunger for learning, as you rightly said. Yeah. So you want to acquire knowledge and skills. And I've seen very few people who would like to go out and, you know, explore cultures, learn more from it. So I would definitely say hats off for doing that. It's, it's amazing. And now I can definitely see how does your LinkedIn post, you know, come out with all the interesting areas you have developed your skills, which also is like, it's not the technical skills, but areas where I guess you were curious or passionate definitely. and you want to build those skills in that area. Yeah. I'm curious about food and then through food, I will learn about somebody else's culture, you know, because from food, you can tell so much, right? Where this country would be so rich in heritage before, you know, where, where, where do they get the spice? You know, the, the spices in the chicken biryani, 
so many spices go in there. <laughs> true. Yeah. From there, you you can trace back. Yeah, no, that that's true. It's interesting how you can connect all these different parts: history to science to all other kind of social skills. But I'm more curious to know what shifted for you to move to like a portfolio kind of a career. If I say what you do now, so what was that? Was there any experience? What made you move there? Yeah, so I was in banking for twenty over years. Half of that twenty over years, I was also teaching in the university. So I I have kind of a a, a day job and a side gig of teaching in a university. So I meet a lot of a lot of people, and uh, a lot of people around me are not happy. I'm not completely satisfied with my life. So I I thought deeper. Many people wanted to derive their happiness from work. Right, they want to be paid well, so that they can buy cars and house. Right. They want to have job satisfaction. They want to create impact. They want to utilize their skills. They want to have opportunity to showcase their talent. All this in one job. But if you look at our employment contract, there is no mention about happiness. There is no mention about creativity or passion. It is just. The company hires you. You give certain amount of time, and do certain amount of work in exchange for a salary. That's it. So it is not fair for us as employee to expect our employers to help us fulfill everything we want in our life. Right? We already get paid the money. So how can? Our company ensure every employee are happy. So it's up to us. And then I I think, why should we expect all the good stuff to come from one job? Can't we have multiple jobs? You know who say we should have just one one job? I mean, there's no law to say that. But of course, you know we we grew up. Your when we grew up, somebody asked, "What do you want to do when you grow up?" Then you say, "Oh, I want to be an engineer, a banker, lawyers, management consultant." It's only one, you know. Nobody say I want to do multiple jobs. Then I think maybe multiple jobs is the is the answer. Can I get money from one job? Get satisfaction. That means we do what we like from another job. And the third job could help us to create impact. The first job release. Our hunger, or you know, help us to be creative, or whatever your passion is. So we should have three, five, six, six different jobs, and also with that means you meet different type of people. For me in banking, then of course I meet people who are more focused on making money. I also meet people who. In the university, who was really passionate about educating the next generation, they get fulfillment. And when I go into creative field, right, you know, you, then these people get satisfaction because they they are able to use their creativity to do their work. 
So that's what I thought. Yeah, why, why not have developed a portfolio career with three, four different jobs? I think it's 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 interesting take, as you rightly said about who who signs your happiness contract, or who owns it, and it's us. We need to manage that, and that possibly would mean different gigs, different ways to learn, and different ways to earn. Yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. And I'm assuming as you started, it wouldn't have been easy. I know you possibly said you started like some gigs in education, even with your job, which is possible. But what are the challenges you faced in terms of for you to start thinking about, I want to switch into this mode? Yeah, I think the, the, the most difficult part is to work without a big corporate brand. Because for, for 20 over years, I've worked with the biggest financial institution name, you know, world-renowned financial institution. And suddenly I'm on my own relying on Eric Sim. <laughs> so of course it it takes a while to, to let people know what I do, to trust me. So initially it was a bit difficult. And also psychologically, whether you feel you still have that self-worth, right? You're no longer employed. Are you able to deal with with this um, status that, you know, you're just on your own. Your business card print a, a name, like for my case, Institute of Life that nobody has heard of. And they start asking you, hey, what, what do you do? And you need to explain to every single person that you meet. So that, that is the initial challenge. And it also takes time for people to know what I do. So the first year, you know, when you ask for business to go to get people to send their staff to me for training, it takes a lot of convincing. And of course, when I was working in a big financial institution, I was doing deals like in the millions, right? The fees are in the millions of dollars. Suddenly I'm talking about a few hundred or a few thousand dollars. A kind of the sum of money that I wouldn't even... <laughs> bad an eyelid uh, before but now I'm begging people just for a few hundred dollars so it's also your ego whether you can swallow that ego and be humble and go around asking for for business so I think is yeah whether you you can deal with yourself not so much of others I, I don't think other people look down on me or Think less of me, yeah, yeah. Because people still very supportive, but there's only so much they can do. They they can't all be sending stuff to me on the day I want to do training, right? They have got the budget cycle. They also may or may not have the people, and sometimes they also got budget constraint. So that that is nothing to do with how they see me, but a lot is how I see myself. That resonates quite a lot with me. And I was speaking to Anna Tevis in episode one, and she's written a book called as Humans at Work. Okay. And she defined the four W's. Okay. The three W's are quite known. Yeah. Work, worker, workplace. Yes. The fourth was worth, which you mentioned. Worth. Yeah. Worth. Yeah. So I think she mentioned that and bringing humanity into your work. 
And what you highlighted was around how do you manage in a way yourself and your ego and your kind of focus and network that, that is, I think something to work on <laughs> in a way yeah, to develop yeah. that kind of a mindset, I would say. Yeah. Many people attach their own self-worth to, to their job. So when they, when they don't have a full-time job, their self-worth suddenly gets very small. So I think the initial challenge is really dealing with yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've been reading about this, yeah. So in terms of people looking at multiple kind of careers, the creator economy, you know, picking up. So what's your view around that? And you're based in Singapore, you've worked quite a lot in Asia. You also worked, you know, in Europe and other places. So do you see this as like a more Western phenomena or do you see this will also start picking up quite a lot in Asia? Yeah, I I think it's definitely coming to Asia. And it is also about time that people start thinking about their own life. Right? Creators economy is not just influencer, not just making money from helping brands market their product. You could have people making money from the creator's economy. It could be a middle-aged person selling cakes online by sharing recipe, by showing people the videos of of them preparing and baking the cakes. Then they monetize by selling the cake but they pull people in through, through, through discussion of uh, the various methods of baking. That is, to, to me, is a, a creator, not necessarily somebody who, who's in fashion, you know, who, who, who wants who just selling fashion clothes. And it is very attractive because you can have a day job, but you can still bake cakes. On a weekend, you could be in between jobs, but instead of keep sending out hundreds of resume every week, you sometimes have to take a break to focus on something, and that something is your 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 cake business. It may not give you the full salary, but it ties you off, and then you got something to do. Because I can tell you, it's very stressful and very, very kind of a bad for the ego when people lose their job. However, this creator's economy can help people tie over. Not everybody needs to be in the creator's economy, but it, you can be in this economy for six months, for one year. Or it, you could be a mother who, who wants to spend time with kids. You know, you cannot go back with, to a full-time job, but you, you can do something on the side. Yeah, so I think that is a good trend or for people who want to take a break, you know, to take care of their own mental health. And I find that there are also ways to make money from the creator's economy, not just branding. Uh, you can sell some product, you can give advice, you can also teach. Once you know <clears throat> certain uh, products or certain services, you can teach people, you can teach people how to write a book. You can teach people how to make posters, how to take photos. 
so many things we can do. And the sources of uh, income can be multiple, not just uh, one source. So I think it's here to stay. It also allows you more freedom, more control of your own time, who you want to work with, where you want to work, and uh, how you want to work. Yeah, I think uh, definitely I agree with you. means the flexibility and freedom you know, people can get and also with being very conscious about the kind of work they want to do. Yeah, the meaningful work where their interests, their own values and the work which they're doing, that aligns. That can be beautiful. Uh, And I guess uh, with technology, that's actually helping us to reach anywhere, anytime. You don't even need to travel for a lot of this work. That's yeah, effort, with, I would with say. technology and then with social media, you already have a marketplace. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that it's an interesting platform. And I know you write quite a lot on LinkedIn and I have seen like the way people are using LinkedIn to build connections, to build profile, to even get leads is amazing. Yeah. A lot of my coaching clients come from LinkedIn, my speech, big conferences, they, they look out for speakers. Mm-hmm. They, go, they go on LinkedIn to, to find speakers and they, they come to me. So I'm very glad 80 to 90% of my business come from LinkedIn and a referral via LinkedIn connection. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, so what I think advice you would have for people who want to switch to say portfolio careers and you shared some of those insights, but yeah. are there like enablers or if people are thinking, okay, I need to move here in the next six months, what yeah. should they be doing? Okay, think of making your first dollar while you're still having your full-time job. Wonderful. Because you, you, you know that it's very difficult, right? Once you quit your full-time job and then you, you, you may struggle. You don't know how good your cake is if you decided to bake a cake. I say that bake some cakes, let your colleagues try, look, you know, see their feedback. If your colleagues don't even like it, uh, forget it. <laughs> And see whether you can start selling a little bit. Of course, if you need to declare to your employer that you are doing this, you are making money outside of your company, you know, you should declare to do the compliance to HR. So that is one way to, to test it out. And once you can make your first dollar, then you, you have some confidence that you, you can make money after you, you, you quit. Then the other bit, right, would be to, to acquire some technical skills that you may need as, as a creator because now you're on your own. Once you go into a portfolio career, chances are you, you cannot hire a big team unlike when you work full-time, right? When I was in banking, I have got a secretary who will book all my restaurants and air ticket. I've got interns who work on the PowerPoint. You know, now I have to work on my own PowerPoint. So a few skills that are quite handy would be design skills, designing poster, yeah, your public speaking skills, because you need to get your word out. So being able to, to speak in front of a large audience or able to record a video of you speaking to the camera without any audience but you still need to keep up with your energy level is going to help you a lot. And writing skills on social media, how you write your story and always give 
an application to your story. So I always tell my coaching client, be good at telling personal stories with universal application. Your personal story, but what is it, what is it in for your reader? Make sure they have a good takeaway after reading your personal story. So these, these are the thing that these are the things that I think one should prepare before they, they make the switch. And after you make the switch, then you can improve some of these skills. You should also develop a small network of people who can support you once you embark on this journey. Yeah, I think that, that makes sense because you're right. I think you need skills. You also need people to support you. You need a network and build your, build your social capital. You know, treat people nice while you still have a, a big title and a big job because once you don't have that, people may not come to you. So treat them well so that they can continue to support you even though you don't have the title. Yeah. And as you rightly said, you possibly need technical skills in areas where you go into, but some of these, I would think, they have become life skills. Mm. Yeah. Like speaking, writing, design kind of aspect. I'm still learning, you know. So all these podcast covers, I started learning Canva a year ago. Yes to yeah. see how I can do this. Mm. So you're right. I think it is also people need to think about going outside their comfort zones to you know, be in those spaces where they actually have a need also to apply those skills so that they can practice. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I think I'm a little more curious. And if, if, if with your permission, I would like to ask you because you've been in this kind of portfolio career for a while. Yeah. And with all these different moving paths, I'm curious, you know, how do you spend your day yeah, even a broad structure, what does it look like? You know? Yeah, so I try to wake up 5.30, 6 a.m. in the morning. So that is my own time to, to start writing, whether it's writing a book, a LinkedIn article, or look at some photos for, for inspiration. And I'll do a bit of gardening because that's where I, I learn from nature. So this is the, the, the morning part. I don't usually have meetings in the morning, unless, you know, unless it's something urgent or like when I'm teaching in a university, sometimes it's in the morning. Lunchtime is my exercise time. So I'll go to the gym, I'll go for a walk, I'll go for yoga. I have a personal trainer to, to train me every Monday and other days, I know I do different exercises. Afternoon, like 2.30, this is usually my first meeting. Could be a podcast like what you and me are doing, you know, could be a discussion on my book, for example, you know, I'm translating my book into Chinese, then, you know, discussing about the Chinese market. Yeah. Then afternoon, 4 p.m. is another meeting. Um, I could be going out for, for, to, to meet people. Then in the evening, it's time with my family or sometimes I organize a networking event. So I, I meet bigger groups of people in the evening. So this is kind of a typical, typical day. Otherwise, I, I travel. I've, I've started to travel. I was in Europe for two weeks in May to, to meet my followers, to also meet university leadership. I, I went to LinkedIn London office, yeah, uh, to, to meet the staff as well, yeah. 
Amazing. I love it. I think you know, the, the routine you have is, is amazing. Yeah? A lot of people who are be, going to be listening to this would definitely be envious, but also inspired in many ways that what freedom and flexibility can give you. Yeah. Some yeah. of the recipes you've given us possibly would be very helpful for our listeners as well. Yeah. You try to set a time where you can do creative work. Mm. Yeah. Because if I cannot keep delivering speeches after speeches if I don't absorb, right? Then I got no new ideas. Yeah. I'm also learning. So I took up positive psychology. Uh, it was a six months graduate diploma course. Once COVID hit, I know I cannot travel. So I signed up for that. And I know that I cannot travel. So I said myself, use the time to write a book. Yeah. So you... I, I have projects. Every year, I, I will try to have one project and I have one learning. The learning could be a course, could be learning from somebody how to do Zoom, you know, at the beginning of 2020, how to deliver a, a webinar, how to speak to the camera with enthusiasm, but without reaction from anyone. That's a skill I'm still learning, I would say. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> when you record your own video, it's very tough. And we briefly mentioned about your book, I think, a couple of times. Mm. So I want to go there. Yeah, I think you, your book came out recently, Small Actions. So what's been your inspiration to write that book? And what's been your experience, I think? Yeah, so I, I wrote that book for the 22-year-old Eric Sim, who has very little social skills, no network, no clue what's happening in the professional world. And a lot of time is because um, your family, right? Your, your family may not know about the industry that you want to go into. Then um, my, my father was selling uh, prawn noodle in Singapore. Of course, he knows nothing about <laughs> professional world. And I thought there would be a lot of taxi driver's daughter or hawker, street food vendor's son out there who may, who may need some or, would, or who would benefit from knowing what are the skills that the professional world is looking for. So this is a book for myself as well as for those people who wants to improve themselves, who wants to achieve some success at work and in life. And I structure it in such a way that it's practical. So the, the tips are actionable, not some big theory. And it, there are also tips that I have given to my coaching client and it worked on them. Then I put it into this book and it's also a manual, 66 chapters. You can then choose what you like. Even if you pick up three to four tips, if you implement them, can already make a huge difference Yeah, to a person's life. Wonderful. I think we will add the details of your book in the show notes so that our listeners can go and check it out. And you rightly said, I think you are expanding and you're translating that into Chinese. Yeah. So it will possibly be available, I'm hoping, in the coming months there as well. Yeah. yeah and even an India publisher decided to just publish in India. So mm -hmm. India has got its own market. So um, you need a different publisher. So a local Indian publisher decided to, yeah, to take on the book. So it's a different ISBN. 
and it should be in major bookstores in India when this podcast is out. Wonderful. I think we'll definitely add those details. I really appreciate your insights into book making it practical yeah and from your experiences. So I think that would definitely resonate with number of people I would say. Thank you. Yeah, this book is also what I'm using when I teach in the university. And a lot of some part of the book may may confirm what people are doing is correct. Maybe you have been doing this now you say okay, this is correct. Or maybe I give you a different perspective so which you didn't think of. And all all the small little things can have big impact especially for young professional what you do now today has got impact huge impact on you 10 20 years down the road because a lot of time we think that to have big impact we need to take big action go and spend 200000 on the mba takes 2 years of your life you know incur some student debt such a big thing then can create big impact no it, it it's not like that. It could be reaching out to one person. It could be treating a person well, nice, or helping other people first. Then 10, 5, five 10 years later, when somehow you need help, this person appear and then give you one advice, help you with an interview or refer you, say something good about you and you got a job. Yeah. So a lot of big things that happened to us, big impact, come from the really small action that we take. And I just hope that people don't underestimate the small action. For example, focusing on not urgent but important things. Right? For example, somebody asks you, hey, would you want to come travel, take a flight two, three hours to attend an event? Not urgent, right? But is it important? It could be important because flying there, you meet a different group of people. There could be one opportunity that can change your life. It's things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And besides the book, are there any other key messages or current work which you would like to share with our listeners as we come to an end? I think I'll leave the audience with this is to develop your social capital, create the goodwill, Expand your social network and also build your social presence. And before you go, I say, think big, start small, act now. Amazing. Now that, that's very useful advice. And how can our listeners reach out to you? I mean, we talked about LinkedIn, but you know, any other areas? How can yeah, I mean, if out? they have LinkedIn, reach out to me on, on LinkedIn. But if you don't have LinkedIn, you can send me an email. My email address is eric.sim at iol.life. We will add that in the show notes as well. But Eric, it's been lovely speaking to you. Really an inspiration to me and many people. And I think there's so much of learnings our listeners would take from this. Thank you so much. Anish, thanks for having me and I'll see you, see everyone on LinkedIn. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. See you next time.